Hello and welcome to the Fat Feminist Witch Podcast, the show where I do a little ranting, raving, and wand-waving, and examine witchcraft and spirituality from a modern feminist perspective. Today I'm discussing the various ways that white witches talk about black magic. And I don't just mean black magic, curses, hexes. I really mean the magical and spiritual traditions of people of color. More specifically, if you, if you want black people. So, hello again, everyone. I hope you're having a good day and I hope you're settled in because this is a great episode about racial tension. So prepare to get uncomfortable, which is good. Uncomfortable means that you are going through a change and change is good. So today I'm going to talk about something that I've been seeing and hearing more and more in the last few years and how outdated and racially insensitive a lot of the regular language of witchcraft or paganism can be. This is something I've been thinking about for a little while just because of how popular African-based uh religious traditions have become. So things like hoodoo and voodoo and Santeria or Lakumi, these have all become very popular and have entered the like regular lexicon of, of witchcraft at this point. And it's, it's very common to find white or Caucasian witches who practice hoodoo or voodoo or, or some variation of this. And I'm not saying that every white witch who practices hoodoo or voodoo is bad and racist. I would never, but you know, there's just got to be a few people wrecking it for the rest of us. And <laughs> and I've noticed, like I said, I've noticed how outdated and racially sensitive a lot of the language we can use in witchcraft can be. It's stuff that just needs to, you know, go to the past and stay in the past. Uh, quick disclaimer, if you hear any weird banging or thumping sounds in the background, that is my pet rabbit. He doesn't really like when I record I don't know why. He's just kind of surly all the time. But he's thumping his foot in the background and I can't make him stop. So if you do hear that back there, I am sorry. But if it makes you feel better, it's really cute when he does it. So I've discussed the common language of witchcraft before, but specifically centering around the maiden, mother, crone, triple goddess archetype for womanhood. And that really affected me personally. That was a very personal episode where I talked about my own feelings about motherhood and about my own mother and about my body. And today's topic, it doesn't, you know, the language that people use about African traditions and, and their cultural magics and stuff like that, that doesn't affect me directly, but it's something that I notice all of the time. And I think it's just something that some of us have to start saying out loud. So, Instead of just giving you my white girl's opinion of how racist white people are, because that's not always really helpful or necessary, although I still think it does help, what I did instead was I put out a call for opinions on this topic. And I used the hashtag witch and bitch so that people could submit their witch and bitchin' opinions to me on this topic. And I also, you know, phoned a friend millionaire style. So this is, I'm going to be sharing some comments that some people have sent me about this topic a little bit later in the episode. I think you guys are really going to like it. And I'm going to do more episodes like this in the future where I get some outside perspectives, especially when it's a topic like this where, you know, white people don't really get to decide what, what racist is. And I firmly believe that. So especially as a Canadian woman, because I'm going to be talking a lot about Southern culture and I'm not in the South, I'm in Canada. So let's get started. Like I said, this is something that I've been thinking about for a little while, 
But recently it came up again and it, it just became something I, I, I had to figure out because I was reading a book, a book that I still think is really great, a book that I loved all the way through except for a few parts. So the book is The Witch's Guide to Wands by Gypsy Elaine Teague. And if you are looking to learn about wands, magic wands, and especially creating your own wand out of wood, especially, I honestly still recommend the book. I've really fought with the with this decision. You know, at first I couldn't decide how to review the book. I couldn't decide anything about how I felt about this book because this this one little part kind of ate away. I still recommend the book, but I do want to put a disclaimer here. Um, this book is written by Gypsy Elaine Teague with a foreword by Orion Foxwood. Both are people who live in the South and, and both Orion Foxwood works with Southern Conjurer. So these people have expertise in this field, especially things like uh, Southern folk magic and things like that, which is the pinpointed topic of this book that kind of bugged me. So I just want to say that please do not <laughs> go out and verbally assault these people. Don't talk shit about them on Facebook. You know, don't boycott the book or anything like that. Because what I truly believe in this situation is that it's just... It's still very, very commonplace in witchcraft and paganism and, and magical spirituality for us to use some outdated language and for us to hold to outdated cultures and ideas. Some of these are dead cultures that have been gone for, you know, centuries, but some of them aren't. Specifically, um, Southern culture and slavery was just not that long ago. It just wasn't that long ago. And I find a lot of times white witches will speak about slavery or southern slavery as if it happened a million years ago and it's okay to just, you know, flippantly talk about it now when that's that just doesn't feel like the case. So specifically in the book, when I started to get this tingly itch in my brain, I had been reading through and it's some of the book is slightly encyclopedic. It talks about different trees and it gives you their you know, historical information, where they grow, types of real life uses, magical uses, and then things like how to actually work with the wood. Gypsy Lane Teague is a woman who's been woodworking, building, constructing things her whole life as a, as a career. Um, I believe she teaches architecture or building. Oh, I feel so bad that I can't remember now. But I thought that was really incredible. So reading throughout the book, you see things like this wood doesn't turn very well on a lathe and you'll have to carve it by hand. This wood does turn on a lathe, but you have to do this, this and this. Now, as someone who's not a woodworker, I only kind of have understand what that is. I know what a lathe is in theory. But I thought that was very interesting for anyone who's looking to actually make a wand. Most of the books about magic wands that I've read are not written by woodworkers. So that's part of the reason I think this is so cool. That is a very interesting level of expertise within a magical book. But I got to the section on one of my absolute favorite trees. And it's something that grows here where I live. I live in the southernmost part of Canada and I'm in Ontario and we share a lot of the vegetation of the South, although not all of it because we do get the occasional Michigan winter. So the book that or the, the tree that I was looking at was Magnolia, which is one of my favorites. And it was all going real great. And then I got down to the last pack passage and I, I swear I reread it and reread it and reread it. 
trying to figure out what about it didn't sound right. So here's the passage. Magically, the wand of a magnolia is very good for Southern heritage magic. While not necessarily root magic, Southern heritage magic is best described as upper-class genteel white magic. This is in contrast to the root conjure magic of Appalachia, where the magicians are closer to the soil. I'm wondering if y'all can see the problem there. If you can't, that's okay. This was further complicated <laughs> when I looked in the back of the book at this, this really great glossary. There's tons of glossaries in the back of the book, actually, that tell you a bunch of stuff about the woods. And one section allows you to look up the wood or material for your wand by issue. So, so what kind of magic you're trying to do with your wood. And in the back, right here, is magnolia and dogwood, by the way, underneath plantation magic. And this is kind of where I... I spiraled out of control in my brain. I swear I just thought the words plantation magic over and over and over for days. I couldn't even say it out loud because it sounded so wrong. Plantations are technically just a farm. Just a farm. They're just another word for a farm. But you can't ignore the cultural connotations of what plantation, especially southern plantation, means to people. To me, as a non-American... And as a white person, it still means slavery, still means slavery. And then to describe it as genteel white magic, uh, upper class. Are you telling me that Magnolia is a wand for slave owners? Because that's how it comes across. And I'm sure that's, <laughs> I'm sure she's not like, hey, slave owners or slave owner people who think slave owners are great. Have a Magnolia wand so that you can take over the world and have slaves again. I'm sure that is not the intention here because plantation and plantation culture outside of slavery is still really important to a lot of Southern people. So before any of you who are Southern jump down my throat and say we still have plantations, I do know that. And I'm not saying that plantation is a dirty word. But when you combine plantation magic with southern heritage magic and then genteel white magic, I get uncomfortable because the upper class genteel white people in southern plantations were slave owners. I know it seems like a stretch, which is why I had to ask some people. I had to phone a friend, like I said, who wants to be a millionaire style. I am very fortunate to have an incredible friend named Reverend Terry. And Reverend Terry is a... Uh, woman of color with a southern background who now lives in Canada so she knows that I'm coming at this from a place of this is outside of my culture and I just need to ask a question <laughs> plus she's just she's really smart and she's really funny so she really helped me out so I decided to ask her if this sounded as wrong as I thought I did it did am I just another white person that's looking for racism everywhere so that they can tell off other white people because that stuff happens and she assured me that it kind of is as bad as I thought it sound. She agreed that it sounded way off and that if she were to describe plantation magic to me, it would no doubt make me uncomfortable. And considering that an exhaustive Google search revealed almost nothing, I tend to agree that seems a little bit sketchy. This is, this is obviously not a super established term in the rest of the world. It might be in the South. I'm not 100%. But it's not for the rest of us. So it seems odd that in a book that's not necessarily just written for the South, it would be so specific. She also cleared up some of the, you know, just 
factual inaccuracies in that Magnolia entry. Uh, first of all, Miss Teague compares Southern heritage magic to Appalachian root conjure, as though these are incredibly similar, and they're just not. Appalachia and the South really overlap geographically, for sure. The Appalachian Mountains do go pretty far south. But Southern culture and Appalachian culture are very different. Um, according to Reverend Terry, anything that's Appalachian is generally considered granny magic. Lots of Irish, Scottish, and First Nations people went up into the mountains and stayed there. <laughs> Made me laugh a little bit. Um, apparently, they brought a lot of their folk and magical traditions from the, the British islands, and those blended with the knowledge of local plants and wildlife and, and cultural stuff of the local First Nations people. She also clarified that conjure comes from the slaves, indentured servants, and the ridiculously poor. Southern root is a blank and vague term that is actually root work. The difference is conjure is active work, while root work is passive. Conjure, I will open all the doors. Root work, doors will open for me. Conjure, angels and guides destroy my enemies. Root work, may my enemies be destroyed. I just had to put that in because that was a great way to explain that. And I've always wondered what the difference between those two words were. So thank you so much, Terry. So what this led me to believe is that despite living in the South, she's, she's kind of mixing up some of these, these Southern cultures. And it could be because of where she lives, which is kind of on the cusp between the two places. But Appalachian magic, root magic, is usually practiced by white and first nations people in the Appalachian mountains whereas southern heritage magic is usually thought of as things like hoodoo or voodoo stuff that originated with the the slaves that were brought to the southern United States furthermore she made a distinction when she was talking about our other plantation magic wood which is dogwood dogwood and magnolia are two trees so ingrained into southern culture that they're mentioned in songs and books and represented in all the art they're symbols of the south so i mean all that specifies that this is actually southern plantation magic by the way which means slaves furthermore while the entry for magnolia magnolia specifies that its use is southern heritage magic which is upper class genteel white magic dogwood the dogwood entry says the dogwood is so ingrained into Southern heritage that deep, low folk magic works perfectly with a dogwood wand. This is the magic of the sharecroppers, the freed slaves, and the poor white and migrant workers who worked for others. Not only does this make it clear that Magnolia is like the wands for white slave owners, but now the dogwood is the wand for sharecroppers, freed slaves, poor white and migrant workers, it doesn't even still say slaves. It still doesn't even actually say black slaves that were brought here from Africa and the Caribbean against their will. It doesn't say that. I found that kind of shitty. Um, she really had an opportunity here to make a, a distinction and to talk about the empowerment of oppressed people. And she decided not to. I found that pretty crass. But like I said... I am not from the South. I am Canadian. I am white. <laughs> uh, I'm not rich. So, you know, one out of three, I guess. But despite all that, I, I, I really didn't want to be another one of those white people who thinks they get to decide what is racist. 
Reverend Terry helped me realize that there was something problematic about this entry. And so I decided instead to throw it out and ask other people for their opinions. You might have seen it on my blog and on Twitter or Facebook. I used the hashtag witch and bitch. And I asked people what comes to mind when they hear the term plantation magic. And I got a lot of really great answers. I got a lot of answers from white people, I will just say, that were trying to find something positive in the term plantation magic. They all kept saying, I think that sounds a lot more like something that describes hoodoo and voodoo, but maybe it sounds a little bit sketchy. Everyone who said something like that and tried to find something really positive about the term was white, which I thought was both really cute. You, you all tried. And I also think it really shows how far a lot of white people will go to avoid looking racist. <laughs> I'm not saying any of you who said that are racist. I'm totally not because it's a term you'd never heard before and you took a guess and that's what I asked. And it's actually a really good guess because you instantly thought of the South. And that's really the point of this is that when you say plantation magic, people even without context or with more context will still say this is about the South. They know. So here are some of the comments that I got from other people using either the witch and bitch hashtag or as a comment on my blog or Instagram. And I'm going to start with my absolute favorite comment that I got. And this is from Asali of Asali Earthwork. As a black witch in the South, I have to say that was incredibly offensive, that entry. Everything, everything about the South was built on the bloody exploitation of black and now brown bodies. To exercise this out of the magic, well, I'll say this and leave it. There's not a bit of so-called Southern magic performed then or now that doesn't brush up against the unresting spirits of black enslaved folk. I mean, my God, that's beautiful. It's exactly, it's exactly what I felt. You can't take slavery and the enslavement of an entire race of people out of the Southern heritage. You can't. You can't ignore it. You can't pretend it didn't happen. You can't sweep it under the rug. And you can't say that there is any part of Southern culture, no matter how much you love it, that doesn't, according to a Sally here, brush up against the unresting spirits of black enslaved folk. And I think that's really the point of this. I think this is a situation where the author is really trying to honor her own. Um, I don't know if she has a Southern heritage. Actually, I'm going to stop that sentence because I know she lives in the South and teaches in the South. I don't know if she's genuinely from there. Um, but this is someone who's trying to obviously say something very positive about the South, which is the place they live that they love. And the South's beautiful and wonderful. But there is also this this issue there that is still an issue it's not like racism is gone from the south so trying to take that out of those entries and kind of dance around it and not mention it i think was kind of irresponsible lilith dorsey the author of love magic who i interviewed here on the blog once said i think that the connotations with this phrase even if they are in good faith are a bit too much for people to accept i hesitate to use the phrase too soon but i think it's appropriate and I tend to agree. Like I said, we're not talking about a dead culture. We're not talking about slavery that happened centuries and centuries and centuries ago. We're talking about something new. This is still, I would go so far as to call slavery in America. I would still say that it is new. Ruby Bridges, the first 
little child, (laughs) the first black little girl who ever attended an integrated school, just turned 62. 62. She's two years older than my mother. And when her and my mother were both little children, Ruby Bridges was walking through a sea of adult white people throwing cans and bottles and food at her, telling her to go home and shouting expletives. You know what I mean? And that happened within our par- my parents' lifetime. I just want you to think about that. Too soon is definitely appropriate here. So Flying Fox Tarot on Instagram said, I've never heard the term, but I can understand that it can be useful when talking about magic in a historical context. My first reaction is that it sounds a bit sanitized, like these magical practices came out of people living happily on plantations when that's not the reality. Slavery in America drastically changed magical practices for millions of people, being forced to mix with other African cultures, being forced to convert to Christianity, the hardships of slavery, being in a drastically different ecosystem with different plants, and the need to hide traditions from the slave owners. This all blended together to make a new magical practice. This is an important piece of history that still affects people today, and it should be talked about, but maybe with a different term. And I fully agree with with all of that. Again, I think that's a that's a beautiful, beautiful way to put it. That this is important, and it's not something that you can you can sanitize out of the conversation about Southern heritage magic, especially when people are trying trying to trying so hard these days to connect with their Southern with their, with their ethnic heritage in general. You you have ancestry DNA tests and things like this, and I love the commercials for these DNA tests that show your ethnic heritage, that show people of color whose families were brought over to North America as slaves and are now just finding out what part of Africa they're ethnically from. And in a world where that's happening all the time, I think it's more important for Southern practitioners, especially who are writing books, to include something for those people who are looking at their Southern heritage and and looking for something to empower them out of their heritage, even if they descended from slave owners, or maybe even especially if they descended from slaves. Pagan Mystic on Instagram. Actually, I got a lot of great comments on Instagram. But Pagan Mystic said, I'm not sure exactly what it is. So if it's like what everyone else says they think it is, which is magic to protect slaves, I apologize. But I raise an eyebrow anytime people start parading around with Southern heritage. Southern heritage witchcraft sounds like something white supremacist witches made up or will hijack. I can't seem to find any sources that thoroughly discuss it. So it's very hard to make a judgment of it. I can't, I can't decide if this is Michael or Michelle. So Michelle Cocano on Instagram says, new to my ears too, but I'm sure the term was used to explain magical traditions that originated or more likely entered into American awareness from the enslaved population living on Southern plantations. A lot of people carried traditions from Yoruba and other African and Afro-Caribbean cultures to the U.S., which is true. Like I said, um, African and Afro-Caribbean religious traditions have become incredibly popular with all people now. There's something that it wasn't acceptable to talk about hoodoo and voodoo and Santeria when I was younger. And I am going to touch on that issue a little bit in a few minutes. But it wasn't acceptable to talk about that stuff because it was seen as black magic or dark or it was used to hurt people. 
But that idea is really changing. And you have a lot of practitioners from all ethnicities all around the world who are finding something to relate to when it comes to hoodoo and voodoo and Santeria or Lakumi. So I think it's important to talk about those traditions. But yeah, yeah, this word doesn't work for me. (laughs) Uh, And finally, a comment that my favorite comment of the positive ones that I got was again on Instagram from Queer Femme PhD. Uh, The only appropriate concept I could associate with plantation magic would be rituals to help with enslaved rebellions. Hashtag down with white supremacy. And I loved it because down with white supremacy is my new favorite hashtag. And like I said, a lot of people tried to find something positive. Another friend actually left two comments that said, oh, is that hoodoo? And is that another word for hoodoo and voodoo? Because I I think Southern magic is, is really interesting. And then she left a comment about a minute later and she's like, you know what? I say the word plantation magic again and all of a sudden it just feels wrong. She's like, why did they use the word plantation? Right? (laughs) Why? So like I said, I don't want you to attack the book or the writer. And if you disagree with any of the opinions that I've shared here on the show, I do not want you to attack those writers either. I loved what everybody had to say about this. In general, I loved what everybody had to say about this. I even loved all the comments where people tried to find something positive in it because it showed me that there is such a... So many people now have a positive response to African-based magical traditions now. When people hear hoodoo and voodoo instead of getting freaked out, magical practitioners anyway, instead of getting freaked out by hoodoo and voodoo, they're like, oh, yeah. I've heard a lot about hoodoo and voodoo. My local shop is run by a voodoo priestess. My favorite author is a voodoo priestess. My neighbor practices Santeria, but she calls it Lukumi. Stuff like that. So it's coming more into the lexicon now. So I liked seeing the positive comments. But being as specific as plantation magic, or maybe as outright as words like plantation magic, and saying things like genteel white magic, Not everybody's quite so obvious, and not all of the terms we use in witchcraft are quite so obvious. Plantation magic isn't something that I've come up against a million other times before or since reading it in that book. But some other things are. A couple years ago, I was working in a metaphysical store, and someone I worked with in the store who was white, we were talking about hoodoo because we sold hoodoo products in the store, and she's a big fan of hoodoo magic, theoretically she's big she has a lot of hoodoo related books in the store and she sold hoodoo related items like poppets and and green rice and stuff like that and when i said something like oh maybe we should get more of this hoodoo stuff in the store people seem to really like it and she's like yeah but isn't that like low magic this was a term i had never really heard before and i was instantly like ew what did you just say To me, it sounded incredibly racist, but she was like, oh, no, haven't you heard that? You know, low magic and high magic, high magic is like, you know, with a lot of stuff and ceremonial like Aleister Crowley and low magic is stuff that's closer to the earth. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound so bad. Doesn't sound so bad at all. But it still ate at me a little bit (laughs) because low and high have other meanings. You know what I'm saying? High means things like doing really well. Low means I'm feeling low. I'm not doing so well. High is positive. Low can be very negative. So I found that kind of upsetting. And it turns out 
I'm not the only one. So high magic as a term does refer to ceremonial magic, stuff like, you know, Aleister Crowley and, and stuff like that. But it, it really just means ceremonial magic that is often associated with the upper class. It's magic that includes a lot of stuff, a lot of props, a lot of ingredients, a lot of pomp and circumstance, a lot of ritual robes, that kind of thing. This is obviously not a kind of magic that low-income people even have access to. And because of the racial situation all across our world with white people dominating everyone, this is not a kind of magic that was even really open for people of color, of any color, to really uh, join in on. Which is not how I roll. I just don't like excluding anyone. Whereas low magic, yes, it is, it's usually magic that involves things that are closer to the earth. So a lot more dirt, a lot more plants, uh, you know, natural elements, stuff you can find all over the place that aren't natural, even like coffin nails and railroad spikes, stuff like that. It's usually pr practiced by people that are lower income and almost all, 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 all of the magical systems, I guess, that are often classified as low magic in Western culture are the magical systems and traditions of people of color, stuff like hoodoo, voodoo, Santeria, all considered low magic. Um, the magic of Romani people, you know, what people associate with Romani people, like fortune telling caravans or whatever people think those people still do. Um, that is all considered to be a low form of magic. And I'm thinking that this term is really outdated. I, first of all, don't think we should be separating types of magic by class. So just because you can spend more money on your magical items doesn't mean your magic is going to be better. <laughs> it just doesn't. If you can't afford to buy any magical items at all, not one, you can still do magic. You can still do it. And your magic can be just as powerful and just as effective as the person who spent you know, $5,000 in a metaphysical store and bought every single thing they need for their big fancy ritual. Now those big fancy rituals and all of that fun stuff, that stuff's great too. I happen to have a bunch of stuff that I've collected over the years, but it doesn't mean that the, when I use that stuff, that those spells go better or that those rituals are more magical. Even within my own practice, it, there's just not a lot of difference except in how I feel about it and how I actually do it. So I think low and high magic is kind of offensive, especially when you consider that most high magic is super ceremonial, which is magic of white people, and low magic is a lot more natural and lower income, which in the past has referred to people of color living in North America especially, but England and Europe as well. I don't think that's cool. There's also things like black and white. This is really simple, and I'm not the first person to say this. Civil rights leaders in the 60s were saying stuff like this, where we, when we look at the English language, let's say specifically, because other languages do the same, but let's look at English because that's what I'm speaking, though I could switch to French if y'all want. Um, black in magic is a little bit better now, but I still, when I work in metaphysical stores or when I, I talk to people who are new to magic, come up against this idea where black magic is bad, white magic is good. Black candles are used for bad things, white candles are good for, used for good things. Black candles banish and curse, white candles attract and purify. 
And this is not just in candles. I mean, you know, imagine yourself in a white ball of light to be safe and clean and purified. The idea that black constantly means negative and bad and scary and evil is a problem. It's a problem in general with our entire language. And within witchcraft, we still very, very much use it because of associations with color. There are a lot of stores that still refuse to sell black candles. <laughs> there are a lot of stores that refuse to sell black anything associated with magic. There are a lot of, you know, it's just, there's a lot of fear around black when it comes to magic. And this often doesn't necessarily connect with, I'm afraid of black people and I don't want black people in my magic. I rarely see it go that far, though I'm sure it has. And if that's ever happened to you as a person of color, I'm very sorry. That's disgusting. But it rarely goes that way. But I can only imagine that this is, this is disturbing and hurtful. It's odd that someone's skin tone, which relates to their ethnicity, can be spoken about in such negative manner so flippantly by people who are in, you know, no way racist. So I want you to consider that. Just consider how you think about black magical items and white magical items. Do you often find yourself thinking that white magical items are pure and good and black magical items are scary or dark? Why do you think that? Why does black mean bad or negative and why does white mean good? I could tell you exactly why. It's because white people are racist and they wrote this shit. No joke. <laughs> white people are racist and they wrote this shit. Despite the fact that voodoo and hoodoo and Santeria or Lakumi have become a lot more popular, they've entered the regular lexicon of witchcraft. And for the most part, if you are in a group of people who are already magical practitioners and you say something like hoodoo or voodoo or I practice hoodoo or, you know, check out my poppet, you're not going to get a ton of flack, but you're still going to get some. You still, still to this day, have people that will tell you witches don't curse. Witches don't curse and hex. Witches don't do any of that. And that's shitty. <laughs> because witches absolutely do do that. And active magic that solves problems you, by cursing or hexing is a long-standing part of the magical traditions of people of color. This don't hex, don't curse, don't do anything negative, don't even sneeze negativity is a white people thing. Um, the no cursing, no hexing is a white Wiccan thing that came from white authors, usually who practiced Wicca, and people have been carrying it on like it, like it's a, a, a witch tenement. But honestly, there's been witches who maybe don't call themselves witches because of this fact, who've been cursing and hexing forever, and it is part of their long-standing magical cultural tradition. So before you say things like witches don't curse, I want you to think about how hurtful that is for the people who have that as part of their magical tradition. Witch doesn't mean just, just mean someone who's white. Witch doesn't refer to any one type of magic. So when you say stuff like that, you're leaving people out. And I believe that this is part of the reason why even now so many of the people at witchcraft or pagan gatherings are white people, where you have people of color that have their own gatherings because they don't feel comfortable. And I think this is a small part of that. You also have this fear of hoodoo and voodoo still 
by a lot of people, things like Hoodoo, Voodoo, Santeria, or Lakumi, these still incite fear in a lot of people. And some of that is because they don't agree with things like, you know, bloodletting or chicken bloodletting, really, which is still popular in, in some cultural tra traditions. But they also still associate things like sticking pins in voodoo dolls and trying to hurt people and all of voodoo is negative and bad and it's designed to hurt people and that's just not the way it is. When you really think about, let's stick with hoodoo and voodoo because I just know a little bit more. When you think about hoodoo and voodoo and where it came from and how it came to the United States and the people that originally practiced hoodoo and voodoo, what you have are people who were enslaved enslaved i'm gonna say that again they were enslaved so magic that hurts people within voodoo or hoodoo i want you to think magic that hurts slave owners magic that stops people magic that gets people away from you or that banishes you i want you to think magic that hurts or banishes or gets slave owners away from you because these are the kind of conditions that these people um, worked in with these magical traditions. These people were slaves. <laughs> they were beaten. They were hurt. I don't mean to laugh, but it's just, I just can't believe that people can't make this connection. It's obviously a much more active and defensive type of magic because that was the environment in which those people were living. And there's still oppression now. The oppression hasn't stopped. So magic to help empower the oppressed against the oppressors, there's a reason why hoodoo and voodoo is like that. And it needs to be like that because that is what people need. Does that make sense? I hope it, I really, really hope it does. This doesn't quite fit in with the topic, but I just have to say it. I also am quite annoyed <laughs> with white folks, white witches claiming to be, and I'm going to use a racial slur because yes, it is a racial slur, but I'm going to say it so that everyone knows what I'm talking about. Gypsies. Gypsy is a racial slur. When you're talking about people with this ethnicity or this background or this culture, you're talking about Romani people. They're not Egypt Egyptian. They're Pakistani, if that makes sense. Uh, originally Pakistani. Now they're from all over the place. But it's become incredibly popular <laughs> and it's been incredibly popular for I'm going to go and say at least a century for white people to kind of co-op not just this image, but the culture and the magic that they see as being part of the culture, things like tarot cards. And I, I can't count on how many fingers, how many times I've been invited to some white girl summer festival that has that racial slur right in the name of the festival. Can't count how many Facebook memes I've seen, how many people with that word written across their shirt, how many people talk about how they've got this, this, this blood in them, this ethnic line when they don't. <laughs> um, if you are born Romani, you, you no doubt know. If not, you can find out and that will show up in something like an ethnic DNA test. This is another tradition and system of magic by an oppressed culture of color, if that's the right term. Most Romani people are people of color, not necessarily everyone. People have moved around now throughout Europe and North America. So you have a lot of white uh, Romani people out there. 
but in its original form, the Romani culture is a culture of people of color that were that were and are still severely oppressed wherever it is they live, especially in Europe. Oh, especially in Europe. And Romani people, Romani people were also in concentration camps in World War II. There are still detention centers full of Romani people all throughout Europe. Lots of Romani people came to the United States to escape that stuff and then, of course, get treated like shit here by the white people who enslaved black people. Go figure. This is another oppressed culture with some magic in its, in its traditions that a lot of white people like to co-op. And I'm going to go ahead and t just tell you to stop. I don't even have any sort of words of wisdom here. Like, don't worry, you're not racist. Or you just need to work on this. This is just something you need to learn or think about. This is something you just need to stop doing. You just need to stop saying the word. You need to stop using the word. You need to stop denying that the word is a racial slur. Romani is not that hard to say. Just do it. And, and I had to put that here partly because that's kind of the topic here. And partly because the author's name of this book that I talked about was Gypsy Elaine Teague. I'm not saying that her name is a racial slur. It's her name. <laughs> you know, whatever. It's her name. But it just... I thought of it because I, I kept saying her name on the book. So if uh, if you are offended by the word, the, the racial slur for Romani people, I do apologize for how many times you heard it in the episode. Some of it was me saying the author's name, just to be clear. Okay, so like I said, I don't want you to attack the author of the book or attack the book necessarily. I think it's one of those things where people just, they don't, really think about it or maybe they just don't get an outside perspective I wondered at first how this book made its way past two different southern practitioners that obviously know what they're talking about they both know what they they're talking about I've looked up their credentials and they're they both seem like fantastic people who really know what they're talking about and I think it's because they're white and they're trying to be Gosh, what is the word? They're trying to be diplomatic here. They're trying not to bring up controversy in the book, which I I get. It's hard when you write a book. You don't want to piss people off by saying the wrong thing, but not saying the right thing can also piss people off. So if you are looking into building wands or working with some of the woods in the book, and there are tons of different trees and woods, lots of Canadian trees if you're another Canadian listening, but if you're someone like me who loves magnolia trees, I did look up some other magical uses of magnolia if you guys are interested. So magnolia, here's a little like sketchy herbs and another sketchy herb. Magnolia, uh, planetary associations, you have Venus and Uranus. Um, so the elements are earth and water. It's a very earthy kind of plant, but it's also associated with a lot of um, love and beauty. And that's where water comes in. You have even zodiac associations. If you're working with your zodiac sign, uh, magnolia could be a good plant for you. And it's mostly used for independence and personal power, love and beauty, connection to the past, and clarity on your purpose. So as you can see from just that, magnolia has a lot more uses than just connecting to your southern heritage or even this incredibly racist part of your southern heritage uh, it also helps anyone connect to their past and heritage not just those with plantations in their family tree 
I burn magnolia incense on my undeniably feminine-inspired ancestral altar all the time. My noni loved flowers. She, I don't think she was a magnolia fan. She loved roses because she was Italian, and that's the only flower that exists to Italians. But she loved flowers. Not only is magnolia a, a goddess-associated flower, but it's a flower representing strong femininity. And I looked it up in the Magic Flowers by Tess Whitehurst. And she says, using magnolia for goddess energy, she says, femininity is not always gentle or demure. In fact, femininity also has a face that is strong and intense. Magnolia embodies this fiercer face of femininity and aligns us with the powerful goddess energy that already swells within. So for those of you who are a little uncomfortable in their skin or feel like your gender presentation or biological sex is a detriment to your to your power, your advancement in life, or you're just struggling to feel powerful, the magnolia is a really great spiritual ally. In that same book, she says that magnolia is used for awakening ancient wisdom and talks about how magnolia is actually pollinated by beetles. The magnolia tree is so ancient that it appeared on our planet before bees even existed. Um, although the trees aren't indigenous to Africa, she equates the energy of the magnolia to the beetles of ancient Egypt, symbols of rebirth and clearing out old shit. And I say that literally, clearing out old shit. Without mentioning the South at all, she made the magnolia empowering for all people. And she's even given people of color, especially those with African or Southern roots, a different way to connect with the plant, still using that ancestral energy. Of course, you can't ignore the Southern connection entirely, and magnolia leaves are a common herbal ingredient in Southern hoodoo and magic for fidelity and marriage, usually to help um, keep your spouse from cheating, and it's almost always to keep your husband from cheating. All of this is more in line with my own personal uh, uses of magnolia. Like I said, they open up every spring, and I absolutely love them. I live in a neighborhood with a lot of magnolia, so for me, magnolia is a symbol of the season. I use it for inspiration, connection to my own past and my personal power, and to celebrate the end of seasonal depression season, which is a big deal in my house. My dad and I both get it real bad, real, real bad. We're at each other's throats for all of February and March. So um, for all this, I, I clean my house with incense and bring home petals to clear out negative energy left over from winter. And magnolia petals, you can honestly collect and put in a bowl just pick them up off your neighbor's hedge if you don't have your own tree and stick them in a bowl. Make sure they, they dry evenly and they'll f your whole room will be really nice and fragrant for a while. And it cleans out that stale smell. And afterwards, you can just throw them in the garden or in the compost pile. As far as a wand goes, I think I'd use a magnolia wand at the spring equinox to open the ritual or the ceremony. And then I would no doubt actually toss the wand into the fire to bring it all together and, and open the season. You know what I mean? I think that would be a much cooler use of magnolia. Of course, if you are looking to connect to your Southern heritage, magnolia is still totally useful for you. As for dogwood, she does go into a lot more explanation about dogwood. She mentions using it for health, especially, and travel protection, which is really cool. I found some other associations. So here we go. So planetary association, Saturn and the sun which is really funny because Saturn is kind of the cold, dark, creepy father time figure, whereas the sun is very bright and open. The elements are spirit and fire, which I think you can see the connection there. And dogwood is used for wishes, protection and boundaries, keeping secrets, healing, 
Um, I put boundaries here again because boundaries are very important, I think. Endurance and heroism and loyalty, which is a really interesting mix of things. So even though this tree is a beautiful, well-known symbol of the South, it's actually a European tree and grows well all along the eastern side of North America. It definitely isn't just in the South. It's an important tree in Celtic mythology and is sometimes associated with the uh, sacred woods of the Druids and some of their, some of their, their mythology, their Celtic mythology. That's not to say that the dogwood can't be used to connect to your southern heritage, because absolutely it is. And if you're doing any sort of folk magic for the south, the dogwood wand is still really, really useful. But for the rest of us who don't live in the south, like I said, she mentions using the dogwood wand for magic relating to health, protection, and traveling in The Witch's Guide to Wands by Gypsy Elaine Teagues. And these are great uses of dogwood. Um, another interesting magical use is in making magical ink. The dogwood tree has been used to make inks and dyes, usually in like a deep scarlet red for just for decades. So you can use dogwood ink or dye to keep things a secret. It's a fantastic ink for something like a book of shadows or spells for dyeing fabric to cover up your magical items like a crystal ball or your tarot decks and for painting stealthy runes and symbols almost anywhere. It's also really protective and keeps things out, but only if you've made a conscious choice to rid your life of them. So if you're working on your own personal boundaries, taking dogwood essence or keeping dogwood on you can help you choose where the line is and keep people from crossing it until you've built up your spiritual strength. Uh, dogwood's an amazing healer of both emotional and physical issues. So spending time with a flowering dogwood is said to heal the heart. It's a good place to have a good cry, <laughs> according to the magic of trees by, you guessed it, Tess Whitehurst. Uh, so in this way, I'd love to use a dogwood wand to direct energy to specific parts of my body that need healing and to cast protection magic. So if you're working on healing yourself, either emotionally or physically, using a dogwood wand to facilitate that healing, super cool. So those are some other uses of dogwood and magnolia that might line up a little bit better with you or, or might not. I still think if you're interested in, in wand and wands and the lore of wands and creating a wand especially, that you should check out The Witch's Guide to Wands. But disclaimer, <laughs> there is this little issue. So if you are a witch of color especially, you could end up feeling kind of sad if you read it. And I don't want you guys to feel sad. So that's what I've decided to do about that conundrum. I'm going to recommend it but with a little disclaimer that I thought this issue was not so well handled, but that the book is filled with lots of really great information. And the author seems to really, really know what she is talking about, like really know what she's talking about. She's been working in carpentry and with wood for decades. So I really, really trust her insight into how the woods actually worked. If you're learning about trees for your spirituality, this book also has a really interesting combination of trees. There are a lot of Canadian and American trees in there. So if you're outside of North America, you might feel a little left out. But if you are North American and learning about trees, The Witch's Guide to Wands has a lot of good stuff. As does The Magic of Trees by Tess Whitehurst. <laughs> magic of Trees and The Magic of Flowers. I genuinely love them both. So this is my episode on how white witches talk about black magic. I hope you guys have gotten something out of it. I hope it's giving you some stuff to think about. Keep an eye out for the 
witch and bitch hashtag. I'm going to be using it again in the future for other topics like this where I want to get some of your opinions so I can read them live on the air. If I mispronounced your your username or your name, go ahead and let me know. <laughs> I don't like doing that, so let me know if I did it. Okay, before I log off here and upload the podcast for all of you lovely people to listen to on Podbean or iTunes. I'm going to talk a little bit about a new project I've started. So if you don't like listening to commercials or ads and you don't want me to make any money, you can go now. Bye. Thank you so much for coming and listening to the whole episode. If you're sticking around, thanks. So I used to have a Patreon page and I closed it down after a little while because I just felt like I wasn't, I wasn't doing enough with it and people who are contributing just weren't getting enough out of it. Or so I thought. It just didn't feel right. I've recently changed all of it. So what I've done instead is started a new program called the Witch and Bitch Group. Haha, <laughs> don't you love that plug? So the Witch and Bitch Group is a private group. It's run through Facebook, so it's a Facebook group, but it's private. Only uh, only the people who have gone through Patreon or Patreon can join. So go to patreon.com slash the fat feminist witch and don't look it up on Facebook. If you go to Patreon, you will see all of the details, but here they are. Instead of just donating a certain amount every month to help me out with the podcast, I'm going to work for my money here. You can join the group through various different levels, starting at $10 a month. And if you start at $10 a month, what you get is access to the group. Plus, you get on the email list, you get some discounts to my online shop, stuff like that. I will also be posting in the group extra content and I'm doing Facebook live videos, which I've started and they're so much fun. For someone who hates video, I'm loving the Facebook live videos. I think I'm gonna do them on the page as well. But I've got Facebook live videos. There is a book club. So once a week we talk about a featured book. This month it's DIY Akashic Wisdom by Jackie Smith and Patty Shaw. So we're learning about the Akashic Records. There is a Sabbat Sense Club, which is a combination of learning about incense, herbal incense, making your own, and learning about celebrating the Sabbaths, because I think they both go together really well, as well as other celestial events. Like next month, we're doing a full moon instead of a Sabbath, because there isn't one. There is also a Sketchy Herbs and Magic Rocks Club. So every month, I'll be sharing a new Sketchy Herb and Magic Rock. Now, if you pay $10, you get access to the group, and you get to see all of this stuff. You get to con con contribute to the discussions and watch the videos and all of that. If you pay a little bit more, depending on the program you choose, like if you pick sketchy herbs and magic rocks, in your actual mailbox at your house or apartment every single month, you will get a package of the herb. You will get uh, one or a couple of samples of the crystal or crystals that we're talking about that month. You will get all of the information about those. And you also get a spell or ritual of meditation that I write specifically for y'all to use with your rocks and or herbs. This month, it's a spell for confidence or clarity of intention in your magic. Those sound like different things, but trust me, they're not. And our herbs and crystal are chamomile, which again, sounds so common, but it's anything but basic. It's got great magical uses. And tiger's eye. If you sign up for the Sabbath sense, you get your own package of incense that I've made for a specific Sabbath or celestial event. This month it's for Litha or the summer solstice. And the incense is my Vestalia incense, which is going up in the shop real, real soon. 
Like, it should have been up already. <laughs> You'll also get information about the Sabbath, about the incense, how to make an incense blend for that particular Sabbath and herbs and other in, uh, items to use, as well as general information about loose incense, about making your own incense for magical intention and how to use it and burn it. And finally, the book club. Every month you get a copy of the book in your mailbox. Plus, I will probably be making cute little bookmarks and stuff real soon. <laughs> but you get a copy of the book uh, before we start reading it so that you can actually get caught up. You can follow along with the book. And even though I, I do live videos, it's not like everybody who's in the group has all of the information that you do when you get access to the book. This is especially great for people who love to read, who have found that a lot of my recommendations have helped and who struggle to find books in their hometown. So if, if you're not an online shopper, you can't get the hang of online shopping. This is a way for you to get hold of these books and to discuss them with other people. The coolest thing about this group is all of the extras that you get for your different pay levels exist outside of the group. Inside the group, everyone is equal. Everyone can participate in discussions. Everyone can watch the videos that they like. Everyone can, you know, share their opinion and, and things like that. But you do get extras in your own personal life. I think that's going to be the best way to do it. So for $10 a month, you can join the group and see everything that we're doing, or you can pay a little bit more and get some extras in your mailbox. And again, you can look at patreon.com slash the fat feminist witch to check that out. You can also email me at fat witch at gmail.com. Look up my Facebook page, fat feminist witch, or find me on Twitter, which is at sign fat feminist witch. And like I said, Instagram is booming. People give me tons of comments on Instagram, so you can get a hold of me there as well as Fat Feminist Witch. So far, we're having some fun in that group, and I'm loving Facebook Live. I, I just keep picking new parts of my house to do it, and so everybody can see what my how weird my house looks. I, I really like it. So thank you so much for listening to the episode today. Think a little bit more about how you, as a white witch, talk about the magical traditions of people of color, especially black people, or if you are a witch of color, it's okay to point out to your white friends when they sound racist. It's okay. You, I mean, you don't have to every time, obviously. It's, it's not your business to educate anybody. But um, I think more people should point out how racist the average things we say sound so that we could start changing the way we talk a little bit more and be a little bit more open to accepting other people into our spirituality and faith making room for more people thank you to everyone who left me comments especially um asali from asali earthwork like i said that was my absolute favorite comment and like i wish i could get it tattooed on my forehead it's it's so so good so thank you to everyone who left me comments and thank you for listening today check out the witch and bitch if you're interested and come back later this month for another episode though i don't know when it is and i'm gonna stop making promises about when i'll get one up <laughs> have a good week everybody and stay super magical